The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is uh, Dr. Alan Fine, and I want to welcome all of our listeners to our discussion with Dr. Felicity Blackstock, who's Associate Professor of Physiotherapy in Sydney, Australia, and we're going to be talking about an incredibly important and truly confusing uh, area, very, very uh, challenging, and that is Dr. Blackstock paper soon to be published in the Annals of the American Thoracic Society entitled Why Don't Our COPD Patients Listen to Us? The Enigma of Non-Adherence. And I think this title is an absolutely perfect title. And I would also emphasize that not only our COPD patients don't listen to us, but Pretty much all patients and all categories of patients don't necessarily listen to us. And this has been an area that uh, troubles most practicing physicians and healthcare providers. Uh, in fact, I kept thinking about this podcast uh, uh, during my day, and uh, at least uh, half the patients who were seen today in our clinic uh, were, I would classify as major league non-adherent. And they were back, most of them uh, were back or visiting me because uh, of at least some contribution of not adhering uh, to their regimen, not taking their medicine. So let me uh, ask Felicity to uh, comment about how she would define adherence in the first place. Thank you very much for the warm welcome. Um, The World Health Organization defines adherence in healthcare as the extent to which a person's behavior, being taking medication, following a diet, um, or executing lifestyle changes, corresponds with agreed recommendations from a healthcare provider. And I think that particular definition really hits the nail on the head, as I'd say, on what what we think when we talk about adherence. It's about a person's behaviour. As compared to compliance, adherence also has this emphasis on collaboration and discussion, agreement on a management plan, rather than judging the person as to whether they've followed your recommendation that you've prescribed and dictated to them. The other really important thing to note when we think about the definition of non-adherence, in my opinion, is that non-adherence is not just limited to non-use, but it also includes underuse, overuse or inappropriate use of the intervention treatment modality. So it's really a deviation in behaviour from that which was agreed upon in this therapeutic alliance between yourself as the healthcare provider and the person that you're caring for. So... um I think that collaboration is really important, but one of the issues that always runs across my mind when I see the patients are not, I'll say not adherent to our agreed upon treatment courses, whether 
they actually believe what we've recommended is going to help them. So uh, do you think that in general, adherence to medication or other uh, prescriptions improves outcome, particularly in COPD, but if you want to comment about other lung diseases, I, I would appreciate it. It's a very interesting question. Uh, we would argue as a, a healthcare system that we have level one evidence on many of our interventions for people with COPD, like, like our medications, like pulmonary rehabilitation, like smoking cessation. And all of these interventions that impact on outcomes for people with COPD require the person to engage in the intervention. They are um, requiring a behaviour change. So adherence, I think, is actually very important important to impact on the outcomes in COPD. So far when we look at adherence, we can see that the data is demonstrating adherence rates are actually really quite low for these demonstrated efficacious interventions. So when we look at medication use, it could be as low as 10% of people are actually adherence with these agreed plans and dosages and prescriptions. So there was um, a study recently in a pharmacy database looking at medication refills for 5,500 people with airways disease, um, not limited to COPD, and it demonstrated that on average Adherence rates to the therapy with uh, long-acting beta-2 agonist inhaled corticosteroids was only 8.8% over this one-year time period. So if we look at the evidence for the medication as compared to the adherence rates, it does raise the question of impact on our medication routines. 30 to 40% of people with COPD in the moderate to severe disease enrolling in large clinical pharmaceutical trials are still current cigarette smokers. So despite our understanding of the impact of cigarette smoking, there is a significant number of people diagnosed with COPD continuing to. Pulmonary rehab um, has recruitment rates of only 50% of those referred and incompletion rates of approximately 30%. So our um, patients don't seem to be adherent and engaging with our level one evidence interventions. Adherence with long-term oxygen therapy is another example um, where adherence rates may be only 45% of people at that 15 hours per day. And patients with COPD are not only physically inactive compared to age-matched healthy control subjects, but the inactivity is observed really early in the disease course, despite a significant association between physical activity and morbidity and mortality. So with this level one evidence of the efficacy for medications and pulmonary rehab and physical activity and smoking cessation um, and oxygen therapy, there's still a significant proportion of people with COPD who appear to be non-adherent. I don't think we've yet established the direct impact of non-adherence on disease burden for the individual or society, but considering this level one evidence um, supporting these management options, it's likely to be very significant at both that individual and community level. So I think non-adherence should be a really important consideration for all health practitioners when reviewing the management plans for people with uh, acute or chronic respiratory conditions. I'm going to certainly agree with you and uh, I wanted to ask you what, what he, and this may be the uh, whatever one million dollar uh, <laughs> U.S. or Australian dollar question. Uh, why do you think uh, patients are not adherent? How do you prioritize uh, what the problems are? Yeah, that's that is the million dollar U.S. question because we know the U.S. dollar is worth a bit more at the moment um, than the Australian dollar. 
The, the World Health Organization puts forward five dimensions or domains of factors that impact on a person's adherence. Um, and I'd like to just give the listeners a quick summary of what those five dimensions and the factors within each dimension are. And as you're listening to these, have a think about the patients that you've seen and what um, particular points in COPD that these factors specifically relate to. So the first one are condition related factors and this includes symptom burden, frailty, activity limitation and functional capacity, availability of the treatments that have been demonstrated to be effective and the influence of comorbidities which we know can be very significant for people with COPD. The second dimension talks about patient related factors. So that's things like knowledge and the knowledge might be disease related or other areas of knowledge. Self-efficacy which is confidence, cognitive ability and have a think about the latest literature around mild cognitive impairment in people with COPD. People might have concerns over side effects or cosmetic concerns around engaging in particular treatments, very relevant to oxygen therapy long term at home. It could be to do with motivation, attitudes, cultural beliefs as you mentioned earlier with our cultural diversity um, in society that we have now and perceptions of benefit or risk associated with the condition uh, or the treatment I should say and psychological issues as well. The third dimension is therapy related factors. So these include things like polypharmacy and treatment complexity, previous failures with treatment, frequent changes in treatment, lack of perceived benefits and actual side effects that might be associated with the treatment. Number four is the really complex area which is the socioeconomic related factors. And this might be things around poverty, literacy levels, both in terms of health literacy and general language literacy, low educational achievement, unemployment, insufficient social support or transportation issues, excess medication and treatment costs and environmental factors. The last domain that the World Health Organization says impact is around health systems and healthcare team factors. So this might include problems with the patient and provider relationship. It could be about inadequate local health services and accessing those services. It could be insufficient reimbursement from health insurance, insufficient knowledge and training for the healthcare provider on managing the chronic illness, um, lack of incentives and feedback on performance for the patient, uh, and inadequate systems emphasising and supporting patient education. These five domains and all the factors within those domains are all very interrelated and very individual to each person. So I'm not sure that we can easily prioritise them as a healthcare provider because what is significantly impacting on adherence for one patient may not be an impacting on adherence for the next person. Also, for us as healthcare providers, some factors are more easily influenced by us, such as knowledge and being able to provide them with information, while others, such as employment status or insufficient social support, might be beyond our scope. And indeed, some of the factors, such as cognitive ability, cannot be changed at all, but you need to consider these factors in tailoring the management plan that's going to be feasible for their adherence. I think the really important point is to consider how the factors do interrelate for each individual and take the time to know what factors are present and what support the patient might require to overcome any barriers related to these factors and um, actually engage in behaviour change.
So I, I was, when we're talking about adherence, are we talking about adherence primarily in high-income developed countries, or does this apply on a, a more global scale as well? I would suggest it definitely applies on a global scale in that the factors I think are going to be relevant across the entire world. It's just that our actions based on the factors on improving adherence are likely to be different depending on what the factor is. And I don't think at this point in time we know both what the factors truly are for people with COPD and secondly how to address those factors. If we did have the answers to those two questions I don't think our adherence data would be as low as it is right now. We would actually have some gold standards for recommending to health providers if you do X it should improve adherence with intervention Y. I always wonder about the psychologic issues in patients who are non or poorly adherent, many of, you know, especially in the setting where the resources are adequate and just the whole issue of people just not wanting to be ill. The uh, many of our asthmatics, even severely asthmatic patients, just don't want to recognize this as a chronic illness, but more as a um, very intermittent problem. So we end up with uh, very intermittent treatments. So uh, that, that seems like a tough barrier to crack. I definitely agree with you. Over the last sort of five years, there's been some data examining um, the association between anxiety and depression and, and health behaviour, and I actually hope to present some data at the upcoming ATS International Conference looking at emotional state being associated as the key significant association with whether you are engaging in what we would think as healthy behaviours. So I think you're absolutely correct in that we need to make sure as part of our approach to addressing adherence that we examine the mental health and well-being of the people that we are working with. We address mood with referral to psychologists or medications as appropriate and then we don't just stop at the anxiety and depression side of the psychological factors. Some of these other emotional barriers such as perception of benefit and motivation and self-efficacy I think also will impact. So um, it's, it's really likely that if a person doesn't have the self-efficacy or confidence to change their behaviour as well as possibly some anxiety or depression, then adherence is going to be a, a significant challenge for them. Or if they can't see the perceived benefit to making these changes and the impact it might have on their, their health, or their cultural beliefs actually don't align with the recommendation that the health provider is making with their management plan. You're going to have a very complex dynamic between patient and provider to actually get adherence. But I think it's important that the healthcare providers take the time to explore that with their patient. So, uh, you, we, you know, we've touched on what uh, an individual practitioner might do. Any other uh, tips for the individual rather than the uh, global public health issues? But oh, aside from spending more time trying to improve uh, 
a person's understanding of their illness, which I, I believe is quite difficult because uh, mm. people in medicine speak their own language, and even when they think they're being clear, uh, it's uh, difficult to translate to, to uh, patients. But uh, any tips for the individual? So as I mentioned earlier, we don't yet have any efficacious gold standards and I want to really emphasise that at this point in time. We, we do need some um, further exploration with rigorous research around strategies with true measurement of adherence as the outcome rather than looking at the outcome of health improved health. But nonetheless, we can still propose strategies based on the World Health Organization's dimensions. Um, so aside from taking the time to initially identify, I think we also need to make sure that we identify what the person's learning needs might be. And then consider what I refer to as a mastery of learning approach, where a person um, clearly demonstrates learning or behaviour change before we introduce the next concept, aiming to avoid a patient being overwhelmed with information. So rather than giving them a brochure or a polypharmacy regime that includes three or four, five, ten different medications, we actually um, take our time. Perhaps you give very structured dose of the polypharmacy in a, a pharmacy box for medications 8 through 10 and the first two medications the patient takes ownership over their dosage. They master that and then you start increasing their information that they're processing. And when I refer to mastery learning it's also really assessing the person's attainment of learning, not just spacing out information session between consultations. So getting the person to come back in and demonstrate to you that they know the particular drug technique or that they are administering things correctly. The other thing of course is positive reinforcement to help build self-efficacy. So uh, not just providing them with the information but the ongoing encouragement with their development and behaviour change and also possibly engaging others from the person's community to support their behaviour change. It's been a little bit of a long-standing thing around engaging carers but I think there's probably a lot to be said about that. Customise the management plan. Definitely don't look at a one-size-fits-all approach. Ensure that you as a healthcare professional are aware of the evidence and limitations for that evidence for practice. Be adherent yourself with the clinical practice guidelines. We can't expect our patients to be adherent if we ourselves are not role modelling such behaviour. And I think I've already mentioned this, but follow up each consultation on adherence. Clarify any changing factors that impact on adherence and identify new learning needs. We know that these patients and the disease process has an evolution and I think that we need to make sure that we recognise change when change is occurring and that we change management plans with that evolution um, of the, the disease and the person themselves. They will go through a growth from diagnosis through to end stage which might change their beliefs, change their self-efficacy, change their learning needs. So um, I just wanted to get, you know, and this is... There may be data. Do you think some countries or some health systems are better at promoting adherence than others? Uh, are there economic and social policies that improve adherence? I kind of want to get your take on it. We have a very interesting 
diversity across the globe around healthcare service provision where each country does things slightly differently and I think the spectrum is very, very broad. To my knowledge, we haven't reviewed and examined adherence rates differing between countries and whether we, I think that's probably an outstanding piece of research going forward, is there someone who is doing this better than someone else and what are the features of that particular health service provider countries, policies, procedures, whatever, compared to the countries that have lower adherence rates. That data is definitely not there and could be very interesting. But I also don't think that we fully understand this enigma of non-adherence for people with COPD actually at the individual level as well. We've very much made the assumption in the past that if we provide our patients with the information such as you need to quit smoking, take this medication twice a day and exercise, that they'll indeed follow those recommendations um, as we are the doctor and we know best. And I think many of our policies are set around the healthcare provider and the opinions of us and how we deliver healthcare rather than how the patient receives that healthcare and engages in the process. So I think we need to ask ourselves a few more questions to then be able to determine what health policies we need. These questions might include things like is knowledge on a particular topic or skill associated with positive health behaviour change? So are there particular areas of learning we must focus on for all people with COPD develop an understanding of or not? Are there no particular topics that any one individual or all individuals should have? Are there particular stages of disease that require particular education or psychological strategies to improve adherence? Or are there particular individual characteristics that a person may have that suggest they benefit from a particular educational or psychological experience to improve adherence? Or should every education program be perfectly individually tailored one-on-one -on -one this is going to have higher healthcare costs to implement but might have a better economic benefit through decreased disease burden um, for both the individual and society. To my knowledge, we don't have the answers to these questions because we've not actually conducted any well-designed randomised control trials with direct comparisons between different models of patient education or patient engagement and adherence. The trials to date have compared Model X to usual care and the models are very heterogeneous um, across the trials making it really difficult in, in a systematic review to draw conclusions on which design features lead to greater improvements and adherence. So the trials do not clearly describe an educational pedagogy or psychological intervention that can be used and they're often based on expert opinion as to what we think the patient needs to know rather than actually looking at the learning needs of people with COPD. So there's very little literature exploring um, learning needs of people with COPD or from the carer's perspective as well and that which does exist is a decade old. We also have not in any way, shape or form touched on um, cultural minority groups both within our communities as well as across the globe. Much of the literature looking at behaviour change has come out of Western societies with reasonably homogeneous cohorts of people rather than truly culturally diverse groups. So we have a lot of questions as you alluded to earlier around culture and cultural beliefs. Well, uh 
Felicity, my uh, head is now uh, spinning. I feel like I I need another another three careers even to scratch the surface of these issues. I think, and I I want to see what uh, your final thoughts are. But it sounds like what we're saying is that we need to individualize our approaches to uh, improving adherence uh, based on the individual social, psychological, and economic features of a patient, but also may vary by community, region, part of the world, health system. So individualization seems to be what I'm coming away with. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm beginning to think of education a bit like a drug where we need to work out which components of the education combine to make an impact on behaviour change. So actually designing the education and our engagement with patients to address the underlying issues. So we need to take a step back. What are the underlying issues? Why do we have non-adherence rates that we do have in each of our different areas at an individual or a community level. Then we need to look at a, a dose response trial to determine the best amount of education or behaviour change and the best route of administration. We also have so many different ways that we can engage a patient which now includes digital world and, and new technologies and learning through the internet and we have not scratched the surface with these patients with COPD and their engagement with the internet, the digital world and what they're learning from each other or websites. So we need to then think about well what is the best route of administration for our educational drug and then of course the final stage would be to look at phase three randomised control trials to confirm that our educational drug actually works so we can be confident because at the moment we're not confident on how we can improve adherence rates in my opinion. So and, and all too often we've launched into education and behaviour change randomised control trials comparing this new model to use usual care and in doing that to date we've not found a particular approach which has actually demonstrated clear efficacy. So we need to take a little bit of a step back I think, really try to identify what the issues are in the 21st century with our evolving society and our diversity with our patients with COPD and then move forward from there. Well I'm just blown away by the uh depth and the sophistication of uh, your discussion. Uh, and I want to thank Dr. Blackstock for sharing her thoughts with us and uh, for the uh, Annals of the American Thoracic Society. This is Dr. Alan Fine saying good night and good learning. <laughs>